I want us to think this morning about a, a very modern problem, and that's the problem of anxiety. We all experience anxiety uh, from time to time. There are people who just seem to be more warriors than other people. And uh, my mother was like that. She was a chronic and perpetual warrior. She worried about everything. And some people are like that. But it's a, common, it's a problem that afflicts all of us. We're going to look at a very ancient answer to this problem from one of the greatest kings, in fact, the greatest king of ancient Israel, and that's King David. So uh, what we're going to do this morning, I'll give you my outline. We're going to actually look at an incident that happened in the life of David, the, the, the greatest crisis he ever faced in his long and glorious uh, reign as king. About a thousand years he lived before Christ. So we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at David's own response that he wrote after that incident. And it's recorded in Psalm 62. Many scholars believe that Psalm 62 was written as a direct result of this incident, this crisis that came in David's life. And then I'm going to make just three reflections on that incident and, uh, and how David handles that crisis that was a, a, a time of, of anxiety and fear, the likes of which none of us have ever or will ever face. So that's kind of where we're going to go. We'll get the incident, the response, and then just three reflections on it. And it's a beautiful day, so I'm going to try to get us out on time. Okay? How's that sound? Plan? Let me pray for us, though, before we start. Pray for you and pray for me. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be our teacher this morning, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. It, it's often um, you know, interesting that um, we give advice to people about worry. We tell them not to worry. Oh, don't worry. But, you know, if you think about it, that's about as helpful as saying to somebody who's in pain, don't be in pain. Well, I, I already am in pain. So how does that help me? Um, or we, we'll say, you know, most of what you're worrying about will never happen. You ever said that or have the people say that to you? Most of the things that we worry about, is this mic even on? It is. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, most of what we worry about will never happen. But, you know, what about that time when it does happen? And ever... Ever had that? You, you tell someone, well, that's not going to happen. And then it turns out it does happen. So that, that counsel is not very helpful. So we're going to look at what David says. So first of all, here's the incident, and I'm going to read it to you. You have it in front of you, but I'm going to read it, and it's a fairly long passage. Um, but follow along. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Absalom was his son. Um, actually, I'm going to back up a step and tell you the background, then I'll read it, and it'll make more sense to you. Sorry about that. Um, Absalom was David's son. David's problem was that he had several wives and had children by all of those wives. And so he had the ultimate blended family. Some of you are blending families, and you know how hard it is to blend a family. I honestly think it's one of the hardest things that we face, that people face in the complicated uh, stories of our families. And let's face it, all of our families 
whether immediate or extended, are complicated, and people are complicated. And so David was trying to blend this family, but it was a, it was a mess. It was a hodgepodge. One of Absalom, who was David's son, one of his half-brothers, a man named Amnon, raped David, uh, Absalom's sister, Tamar, and it shamed her, ruined her life as a result of that in so many ways. Absalom just seethed with anger. He then killed Amnon, his half-brother, to avenge his sister Tamar's disgrace. David, the father of these, then banishes Absalom from the kingdom. And in Absalom's mind, what he had done was a mercy, not a mercy, but a, but a, a vengeance, an honor killing. You hear about those today, to avenge the honor of his sister. And, uh, and so he's banished from the kingdom and humiliated. And over time, that seethes, that anger seethes and develops. And he rises up against his father and tries to overthrow him. That's the background, okay? So now we'll read it. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who are with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. This is what he was facing, the destruction of everything and himself. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the desert. Zadok, he was the high priest in Jerusalem, was there too. And all the Levites, the other priests, were, were, were with them carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God, the most precious thing that the Israelites had. That was, when, when that was there, it was a symbol that God was with them. And so the priests are carrying it with David, leaving the city. Look at David's response. Um, then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. So Zadok and Abiathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. And all the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. That's the incident. And I believe it is the is, is the greatest crisis that David ever faced in his long life, in his long reign, and it's his finest hour. And we're going to comment on that um, toward the end of the message. But that's, that's the incident. Now I want you to look at David's response. <clears throat> psalm 62, and if you have that in front of you, you can follow along. It's a great psalm to use as your own prayer and devotion life. David writes, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. 
With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. All right, let's make some reflections. The first reflection that I want to make here is David faces his fear. He faces his anxiety. And we, there's no denial. He's, he's not hiding from the fact of what he's up against. He's, he's fully aware. Listen to what he says in Psalm 62. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? He realizes how vulnerable he is. His son has raised an army. He's coming against him. They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. He's speaking in the second person here, but he's talking about himself. Absalom fully intends to overthrow him. He's not in denial. He's facing it. He's facing the facts. Um, here's a little song I wrote. Let me sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. Remember that song? Some of you are old enough to remember it. Some of you are too young. That's the advice we give to people. That's not the advice David would give. David realizes what he's up against. When we're experiencing some fear, it's so important that we pay attention to that. Um, anxiety is, is a warning. It's like the light that comes on on your, your instrument panel of your car. Maybe it's just a routine light. tells you it's time to you know, have it serviced in some way, tune up or oil change or something. But maybe it's more serious than that. Sometimes we brush those lights off. We ought to pay attention to them. Or maybe it's like a smoke detector. The smoke detector goes off and you just assume that it's a little bug that has gotten in there or, you know, maybe some dust that needs to be swept out. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's really a problem. I remember when we lived in Massachusetts, we lived only a short distance from downtown. And so in the summertime, we'd have the windows open, and we would hear alarms go off. We'd hear car alarms go off, and they'd go on and on and on forever. And you'd get, you can't drown them out. You close the window, you still hear them. And I would get so annoyed, and I'd say, why can't someone install a, invent a car alarm and install it that's not going to go off? You're not going to have all these false alarms. Those idiots who do that... It never occurred to me, maybe somebody's stealing that car, <laughs> right? We do that with anxiety. We just drown it out. We say, oh, it's just stress. This is life. I don't like it, but this is the way it is. And we just assume that maybe, it's, but maybe we, 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 should, we shouldn't assume that. We should perhaps wonder, maybe there's something wrong. Now, there is routine anxiety. All of us experience it. 
I felt a little bit this morning as I was getting up and getting ready for this morning. Um, that just says that you're conscientious. You feel anxious maybe before you go to work or before you have some big meeting or something that you have to do, and you feel a little stress, a little anxiety around that. That just says that you are conscientious, that you care, that you're a, a, a compassionate person, that you take things seriously. That is routine. That is life. I don't know how you ever get rid of that. But there's a darker, deeper anxiety or fear that sometimes grips us. That we need to pay attention to. And it's a warning that there's something going on. Uh, so we need to face it. That's the first thing I just want to say. Have, has any, anybody completely given up on the Red Sox by now? Anybody? Anybody still hoping? Um, you given up. Okay. On to Cincinnati. I mean, on to the Patriots, right? Um, all right. Well, if, if, you, if you know baseball, you've followed it, then um, baseball stories, then the name Dave Dravecki might mean something to you. Anybody know the name Dave Dravecki? Never played for the Sox. Played actually for the Padres, San Diego, and then uh, later uh, was a uh, left-handed pitcher <coughs> for the Giants, San Francisco Giants. He was a Christian. He became a Christian in the majors. And um, in, in 1988, he was at the height of his career. He was 32 years old and 31 years old at that point. Height of his career. And the, the uh, Giants were in the, headed to the playoffs. And uh, he was pitching. And after he was pitching, his arm was really particularly sore. And uh, an examination of his arm showed that there was a cancerous tumor on it. And so he had that removed. Everybody said, your career is over. You'll never pitch again. You're done. He was crushed. But with a lot of perseverance and hard work, he made it back. And that following year, 1989, he started pitching again, pitched in two games. In the second game, he threw a fastball, and his arm broke. And now uh, x-rays revealed that the cancer was back, and it had spread. And so in the weeks that followed, he had surgery, his left arm, his left shoulder, and half of his collarbone were removed. And he was in recovery in the hospital, and he got up, and he looked in the mirror for the first time, and he was shocked by what he saw. How could you not be? He said it looked like the whole left side of my body was gone. Now there was no comeback. His career was over. And he said, I looked in the mirror, and he said something that I've always remembered. I read about it. I've said, said something I've always remembered and, and tried to say myself when I'm facing a challenge. He said, okay, Lord, this is the hand I have been dealt. Didn't say God did it. This is the hand I've been dealt. Help me face it and deal with it. He went into a deep depression, lasted 30 months. He had counseling. Eventually, he came out of it. And he became, developed a business career, became a motivational speaker. And uh, he, he's 62 now. He's still speaking around the country, Dave Dravecki. But that's, that's what he said. I've often thought about when I face something. All right, Lord. This is what I'm up against. Nothing I can do to change it. Help me. Help me face it and do whatever it is that I have to do. 
And, uh, and that, was, that was David of Eki. That's David. David says, they're trying to topple me. This is what I'm up against. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to pretend it's going to go away. I'm going to face it. And that's what he does. So that's the first thing. You face your fear. Then the second thing David does is he traces his fear. He traces his anxiety. And we see that in verse 9. Low-born men are but a breath, and the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. He says it again. David realizes how vulnerable he is. He's the king. He's a high-born man. He's got all kinds of power, glory, fame, wealth, people to, uh, to surround him and protect him. But he realizes how vulnerable he is. His, his fear is traced to the very fact that his son may indeed destroy him in everything that his, his, his life has meant. Wipe his name and his family right from the book of history. That's the real threat that he's facing. It's a real threat. And, and he doesn't minimize it. He faces it. He's, on, he's just a breath. I'm a vapor. You know, think about that. We know how vulnerable we are only when we're facing something, maybe a sudden illness, maybe an accident, maybe a sudden death, maybe the loss of a job or the loss of something precious to us. And in that moment, we realize just how vulnerable we are, how, how tentative life is. And, uh, and that's, it's in that moment that we realize uh, our fear, the source of our fear, is our own ultimate vulnerability. Nothing is secure. Uh, one of the greatest thinkers, Christian thinkers in history is St. Augustine. He lived 400 years after Christ. Lived in part, uh, part of his life was in Rome, part of it was in Rome and North Africa. And he became a Christian because his mother prayed for him. He was in his 40s when he became a Christian. His mother, Monica, St. Monica, prayed for him. So moms, pray, pray, pray for your children. Dads, pray for your children. Don't give up. Monica never gave up. In, in, in late in life, for someone then, um, Augustine became a Christian. And he became a great Christian theologian and thinker and preacher. And he said this about anxiety. And it's, it's so helpful, I think, and it's so vivid and memorable. He said, anxiety is the smoke from a collapsing idol. Say it again. Anxiety is the smoke from a collapsing idol. Let's think about that for a moment. What's an idol? An idol is anything. Most of them are good. It's anything that becomes the most important thing in our life. It might be our work. It might be our church. I have known pastors, and I have fallen into this idolatry myself, where the most important thing in my life becomes the growth of the church, not Jesus Christ, but my success or the success, and I might even, you know, fool myself into thinking it's really not about my success. It's about the glory of God. But in reality, what has become most important is not. It can be true of your family, your children, your grandchildren, your, your, your spouse. Potential to become the thing that I am most focused on. Fishing.
know some of you do, ever been so excited about a fishing trip that it's about? No. Anything, these are good things. If it becomes the one thing that looms largest, say, I have to have that. If I don't have that, I cannot be happy. I must have that one thing or I will never, ever be complete and fulfilled. And that becomes the idol. And so anxiety is smoke. It's, it's vaporous. It's not substantive. You can't see it. You can't weigh it, but you feel it. And in that sense, it is like smoke. Where there's smoke, there's fire. When you see smoke, you trace it down to see what is burning. When you have anxiety, you trace it down to see what is it that I am afraid of losing. Because if I lose that, I will have nothing. That's what David does. He traces his anxiety to its source. And he realizes it's his total vulnerability as a human being. Smoke, I mean, uh, um, anxiety, it's the smoke of a collapsing idol. It comes because we begin to realize what we have been counting on may not happen or it may not be there for us. We sense that it's beginning to get shaky, beginning to perhaps be lost, taken away from us. And, and we've been counting on it and we feel we need it. And if we don't have that, we've got nothing. Um, I'll tell you a quick story that um, happened a number of years ago. I lost my phone. And if ever you lost your phone, it's, it's a kind of an unsettling feeling. It's like losing your wallet, all your credit cards, having it stolen, whatever. And uh, Kathy said, well, let me call it. I said, don't bother. I remember turning it off. So never turn your phone off. Now you've got other you know, apps. You can find it even if it is turned off. But that, we didn't have that. It was a number of years ago. And, uh, and so I looked everywhere, look at, searched the house, searched the cars, couldn't find it anywhere. Um, my kids, I called them, said, did I leave it with you? No, then they looked, couldn't find it. Dad, where did you last have it? Remember your mother used to say that to you? What were you doing when you last had it? Well, that's all in, well and good if your memory is good. <laughs> you know, if you can't remember what you were doing, what you had for breakfast, that's not going to help. I said, I can't remember where I last had it. If I could, I'd... I wouldn't have called you. Anyway, I went to bed that night, and I couldn't sleep. It was bothering me. And I'm thinking, why is this bothering me? It wasn't the money. I could have replaced the phone. It wasn't even the contact list. It was before the days of the cloud. It, you know, it wasn't backed up. I, it would have taken me a, a while, but I would have eventually you know, gotten all my contacts that I needed back in there. I said, no, there's something else that's bothering me. And finally, sometime in the middle of the night, it clicked. I traced it back to the idol, the idolatry. It was about control. I felt out of control. I was careless. I was careless. I wasn't, I wasn't alert. I lost it. How can you lose something? It's like losing your kids in the supermarket, right? That happened once, too. <laughs> right at the old Coddles, now Hannaford, in Gardner. Anyway. 
you get in a hurry. And I was, I was careless. I was, I was out of control. And we love to be in control. And as we get older, you know, when we're little, we have no control. Then we get control. Then as we get older, we lose control. We lose our faculties. And eventually somebody wheels us where we don't want to go, right? And then when you have no control, they put you on the ground. And that's it. And so I don't know if it was just related to the whole thinking of getting old. Or, but I said, that's what bothered me. And, uh, and that, was, that, was the, that was the idol. So when you're, when you're anxious, figure it out. It may take a while. It may be a while before you finally trace it. And it may be that you'll never trace it. Sometimes there is just free-floating anxiety. And we just, in that case, have to say, all right, God, whatever this is, you help me. But chances are there's a threat to something that is very precious for you. So you face your fears, you trace your fears, and then you replace your fears. You replace your idols, and that's what David does. Look at this. This is remarkable. I think this is David's greatest hour. Look at what he says in Psalm 62. He says, my soul finds rest in God alone. God alone. He puts God in that one place. My salvation comes from him. He alone, says it a second time, is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I'll never be shaken. And then in verse 5, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress and I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. And actually the word alone appears there in the Hebrew, on God alone. So five times he says God alone, five times. You think he's trying to tell us something? God's trying to tell us something? David takes the idol, which was his whole life, everything, and he puts it aside and he puts God there and says God alone. And, and, and that's what he does. How does he do it? How do you make God the one thing? It's in the incident that happened. His greatest hour, David's greatest, finest moment. They want to take the ark with him, the priest. And he says, no. If God wants me to have it, then I'll have it. If he doesn't, if this is the end, then I'm okay. He surrenders his idol. He surrenders everything. That's the, that's the school of Gethsemane, right? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't want to die. Who wants to die? If it's possible for this to be spared, he prays. If it's possible that I don't have to drink this cup, go to the cross, that's what I want. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want, God. And he surrenders there in the garden. That night, that holy Thursday night, he surrenders to the will of the Father, and he goes to the cross. And that's true for all of us. There's a struggle. It's an amazing thing to think about. How, how can the Son of God struggle, you know, whose Son, who's God? Jesus is God, of course, and yet he struggles with the Father. There's a, there's a, there's a struggle of wills there. That's, I can't explain that. I don't understand that. But it's evident and then he surrenders his will to the Father's will. And that's what David does. David's finest hour 
was to say, God, if it's your will for this to be the end of everything for me, I don't want that, but I will accept that. That's how you replace your fears. Um, and it's in that relinquishment, the prayer of relinquishment, that true peace is found, true freedom is found. Because if you're saying, God, I can stay or I can go, I can go right or I can go left, whatever you want, then that's true freedom. That's true freedom. And we get to do that every day. Every day we get to say, God, this is what I want, but if that's not what you want, then I want what you want. Every day is that opportunity. And that's how you replace your fears. Well, I found the phone. It was in my car. I'd been wedged down in the seat. I hadn't found it looking under the seat finally. Next day I found it. And David survived the battle. Tragically, his son was killed, Absalom, and that's a whole other story. But David went on to continue to be king. You know, God is a good God. He's a powerful God. I love how the Psalm 62 ends. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. He's strong and he's loving. The scripture says, no good thing will God withhold from those who love him. In our church in Massachusetts, we've had some wonderful stories of people who married for the first time late in life. They had reached the point where they said, God, whatever, I want to be married. I'd love to meet someone. I don't want to go through life alone. But whatever you want, I will accept. And I've done weddings of couples in their 50s, 60s, 70s, in which, in many cases, one person was getting married for the first time. That's wonderful. That's exciting. And yet, in these cases, they said, if that's meant to be, then let it be. If not, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. That's a prayer that God will always, always answer. God will always bless when we say, God, I can go this way or I can go that way, whatever. God will always answer that prayer and bless it because he's good and he's strong. Well, so we face, we trace, we replace. And uh, that's the ancient answer to a modern problem of anxiety. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, here's some things. If something's been bothering you, trace it, figure it out. Prayerfully figure it out. It may take some time, but trace it down. Uh, maybe you want to list your idols. I've got a friend in our church in Massachusetts who has a list of all of his potential idols in his Bible. Somebody said, why do you have that? He said, because I want to know where I'm vulnerable. I want to know um, that I'm putting God in the one place in my life. And so you might want to do that. What are the things that your heart naturally kind of adheres to, idolatry? idolize. Where do you need strength? He's strong. Where do you need strength this week? Maybe pray about that. Where do you need his love? Where does someone else need his love that you can give? Where does someone else need his strength that you can come alongside them and help them? Uh, put the one person who's meant to be in the one place there, Jesus Christ. If you've never put Jesus Christ in that one place, put him there. If you've had him there and he's kind of slipped away and, and boy, fishing. 
has come to that place, then replace that and put Jesus Christ back. Well, amen. Let's stand together and say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You are dismissed.